All right. You have a Bible. Why don't you turn to Obadiah, please? Obadiah, it's only one chapter. We're going to look at verses 17 through 21. The message is entitled, The Kingdom Age for Israel. The future reality of the millennial kingdom will take place with her temple. Jesus reigning, sacrificial service will be in full swing in the temple. And Israel will occupy all of the land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They never have done that, even in the days of Solomon. The term millennium... Uh, refers to the period of a thousand years, as you know. There are three prominent views, which is amillennial, meaning no millennial, put an A before a word, it's none, like agnostic, no God. Then postmillennial, which means after the seven years, um, uh, tribulation, um, and then a premillennial means that Jesus comes back for the church, and then comes the millennial. Okay? So, we at Calvary Chapel believe we are pre-tribulation, that Christ will come for us before the seven years tribulation, and we are pre-millennial, that well, Jesus will come, uh, will return with him as a church, and we will set up the kingdom with him, but he's the one that sets it up. The interesting thing is that early church fathers from uh, Justin, Irenaeus, and Tertullian, um, which involves the first 300 years, were all premillennialists. They expected um, the personal coming of Jesus Christ in glory to inaugurate the thousand-year reign or the millennial kingdom uh, before the last judgment. That's the white throne judgment, because that happens at the end of the thousand years. And that's exactly what Revelation chapter 20 teaches. Um, but it was also the Jewish expectation uh, of the Messiah's kingdom. Uh, in fact, you remember the disciples were always asking Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? And even after the resurrection, he says, none of your business, just tearing Jerusalem to be doing a power on high. Then the Holy Spirit came upon the church, and then God began to show them that the age of grace. Because as the Jews, they had a, a twofold mentality, the present age, the fallen age, and the age to come when the Messiah would come and knock off word of power at that time was Rome, and then set up the kingdom. Okay. That was a question all the time. So they believed it also. Now, some um, mistakenly teach replacement theology that teaches that God is through with Israel and the church is taking the place of Israel, so we are spiritual Israel. So all the promises, all the blessings are to us and God is through with Israel. He'll do nothing more with Israel. Absolutely wrong. I reject it. Israel is the wife that's been put away. We've seen this over and over again. By divorce, for her unfaithfulness, all Jews, except for a few proselytes that have come in. The church is Jew and Gentile, one in Christ Jesus. Looking for a wedding. A woman who's been divorced has not only had a wedding, she's had a honeymoon. She's been married for a while. There's a big difference. And so we don't believe in replacement theology. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ has his church, Jew and Gentile, one. And... Um, The church will return with Jesus and usher in the kingdom. But many of them, again, believe the church will usher in the kingdom through what's known as kingdom theology. And you hear a lot of that theology today. Um, but it's not biblical. 
the church is part of the kingdom, but is not the kingdom. We're part of the kingdom. We're going to be in the kingdom, reigning with Jesus, but we're not the kingdom. The church will not bring in the kingdom, yet we will return with Jesus to set up the kingdom. Are we clear on that? But Jesus is the one that sets it up. If you believe um, that Jesus, that the days are going to get better and better, what kingdom theology says, and they use the parables to teach that, and the parable of the uh, of the leaven, what we conclude is leaven, um, in, in the meal and that, and the birds, they say it's going to get better and better, and then the whole world becomes Christian. Really? It's getting better? You guys see the news yesterday? Okay? Europe is gone. I mean, France, there's nothing going to be able to do. They've given their nation over to Islam years ago. Police don't even go into their neighborhoods. And if we're not careful, that's what's going to happen here. So the world is not going to get better. If this is, if this is the millennial, Lord, help us. And if you think what's happening is getting better, then you're, you're drinking too much of the Kool-Aid. Dwight Pentecost, in his book, Things to Come, says that the amount of material in the scriptures about the prophetic announcement of the millennial kingdom in the future is larger than any other subject. If you weren't with us in our series on the Millennial Kingdom, I want to encourage you to get the series. We went through the temple, the worship, uh, the land, everything, the government. But what we want to do is look at verses 17 down to 21. Um, the final restoration of Israel is given here by Obadiah, which is characterized by three things. Let me read here. Uh, but among Zion, there should be deliverance and there should be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, but the house of Esau shall be stubble. They shall kindle them and devour them, and no survivor shall remain in the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. The south shall possess the mountains of Esau, the lowlands shall possess Philistia. They shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria. Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And the captives of the host of the children of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Seraphath. And the captives of Jerusalem who are in, in uh, Sepharad shall possess the cities of the south. The saviors shall come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau. And the kingdom shall be the Lord Yahweh's. And so the final restoration of Israel is characterized by the following three things. First, we have the salvation of Israel. Verse 17, the first portion. Secondly, we have the possession of the land of Edom by Israel. The last part of 17, all the way to verse 20. And then we'll finish up with the domination of the millennial for Israel. Verse 21. So we begin with the salvation of Israel. Notice here verse 17. Israel will be delivered from Mount Zion. Listen to the words. But on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance. Now, the promise of salvation is to the remnant of Israel at the return of Jesus Christ, and the location is Mount Zion. Very, very clear. This is uh, verified by all the prophets, but Zechariah gives a powerful picture of the return of Jesus Christ as he descends in a particular mountain. Listen to Zechariah 14.4. And in that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces the temple, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the mountain of Olives shall be split in two from the east to the west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move towards the north and half towards the south. And the other prophets say that there'll be water coming forth from Jerusalem, 
Half of it will go down to the uh, Dead Sea to make it alive. There'll be fish there. The other one to the Mediterranean. Well, that's a, a, a pretty impressive entrance as he returns to the earth. Isaiah puts it this way, Isaiah 31.4. He depicts a return as a victorious warrior. He says, For thus saith the Lord Yahweh has spoken to me, as a lion roars, and a young lion over the prey, when a multitude of shepherds is summoned against him, he will not be afraid of their voice, nor be disturbed by their noise. So the Lord of hosts, the captain of the armies of heaven, will come down to fight for Mount Zion and for its hill. So he's coming back as a conquering Messiah. A lion roars after he has his prey. Joel confirms the return of Jesus to, the, to save the remnant. Listen to Joel. We just finished Joel um, two prophets ago. It says, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord Yahweh has said, among the remnant whom the Lord Yahweh calls, Joel 2.32. So the context is the remnant. The context is as he returns to set up the kingdom. Mount Zion appears 23 times in the Old Testament, two times in the New Testament. Hebrews 12.22, Revelation 14.1. Notice the particular location of Zion identifies Jerusalem on earth. Zion is called the city of David. 2 Samuel 2, 7, 5. Uh, or five seven nine first kings eight one uh, punch in and your the beautiful thing about computers you just put in Zion boom you get all your scriptures I mean before we used to have to go book by book now we just can study so effective so faster the location Mount Zion is called the hill of Jerusalem in Isaiah four five and eight eighteen and others Joel also confirms the impressive return. For the remnant of Israel. Listen to Joel. Joel 3.16. The Lord Yahweh also will roar from Zion. There's that line again. And utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will shake. But the Lord Yahweh will be a shelter for his people. And the strength of the children of Israel. You can't confuse them. That's not the church. You can't just put a line through it. Put church instead of Israel. You can't cross off Jerusalem and say, well, that's New York. You can't do that stuff. It's a violation to the scriptures, and yet people do stuff like that. Zion is mentioned 154 times in the Old Testament, seven in the New. Zion, Mount Zion. It's talking about Israel. Now, the person bringing salvation is Jesus, no one else. Listen to Isaiah 59, 20. The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord Yahweh. Jacob, Israel, remnant, Jerusalem. For the Lord Yahweh will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord Yahweh. Joy and gladness will be found in it. Thanksgiving and voice of melody. Isaiah 51.3. That's not now. They're constantly, from the day that they declared their independence, the British betrayed Israel and armed the Arabs to attack them the next day. And it hasn't stopped. The world is becoming more anti-Semitic. Our nation is no exception. Notice Israel will live in purity under the reign of Jesus. 
and there shall be holiness. The Holy Seed will be the nucleus of the restored Jewish nation, Isaiah 6.13 tells us. All those in Zion will be called holy, Isaiah 33.8-10. Jerusalem will be called holy, Joel 3.17. The Lord will be exalted in His holy mountain, Psalm 48.1, Jeremiah 3.23. The Lord will establish His holy house, the law of which will be holy. The temples there, Ezekiel 43.12. Israel will defile or defile, uh, will not defile his holy name forever. Ezekiel 43.7. They have in the past. They, have, they are doing in the present. Because for the most part, Jews are secular Jews. The only religious Jews are the black hard hat and black coat guys with the curls coming down. Christ shall reign over the nations of the earth from the throne of his holiness, Psalm 47, 8 through 9 says. You see, Zion and Jerusalem will be a crown of glory fit for the king of kings due to the Lord's doing in kingly crown in the royal diadem. The high priest, which reads, holiness to the Lord. Read Isaiah 62. Remember the law? The high priest went in with the names of the 12 tribes over his heart. Six on each shoulder, carrying the burden, the heart for the people. And across his miter, on the golden plate, with a blue ribbon, holiness unto the Lord. The ultimate priest, Melchizedek, Jesus Christ, after the order. Now, the prophet says, in that day, upon the bells of the horses will be inscribed, holiness to the Lord. And all the pots in Jerusalem and Judah shall be just as holy as the sacred vessels in the Lord's house. Zechariah 14, 20-21. Now you know in the temple, only the things that were there were holy. But in the millennial kingdom, all of them will be because Jesus will be reigning. Holiness is a great characteristic of the millennial kingdom. You don't see holiness right now. You kidding? When we get born again and we live for the Lord, then God changes our heart. But we still aren't going to be like it'll be in the Millennial Kingdom. You know, in November of 1970, a 12-year-old boy made this pledge. Quote, I declare I will establish peace in this world. These words were the words of Maharaji G. In three short years, he formed a massive worldwide organization dedicated to removing war and suffering from the face of the earth. On November 8th through the 10th at the Astrodome in Houston, Guru Maharaj Ji set forth his program for world peace. This gathering in Houston was more than just a large festival. It was supposedly world assemblage to save humanity. The dawn of the new age. You remember you grew up in the 60s and 70s? The fifth dimension? The age of Aquarius? Marilyn McCoo, she's a Christian now. Now she worships the Lord. <laughs> You see, it was supposed to be called the millennium. Where is it at? There's a bunch of deceivers today. Now, Pastor Rick Warren has also made similar predictions. Setting a program to get rid of world AIDS and poverty. Now listen to the words of Jesus. The poor you will always have with you. Now, am I going to believe Rick Warren or the words of Jesus? 
This is the sister, ladies and gentlemen, the word of God. I'm sure he's a very nice guy. Never met him. But I have to judge what he teaches. The millennium will be inaugurated by Jesus Christ after the angel announces the gospel to the whole world. Revelation 14, 6 through 7. The church has failed. Now, listen very carefully to Revelation 14, 6 through 7. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of the heavens, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, springs of water. The whole intent, it was good intention after World War II. Let's get out and preach the gospel. So the mission call was all over and they went to preach the gospel. But we don't have to preach. We, we fail. Jesus is going to send the everlasting gospel with that angel to preach it to the whole world. It's real simple. Now Jesus will appear at the second advent to establish the kingdom age on the earth. Revelation 19 and 20 is very, very clear. Um, he will remove blindness from Israel and give them a new heart. Uh, Romans eleven twenty five through 26. Blindness in part has happened in Israel until the fullness of the Gentile comes in. Isaiah 11, 11 through 14. You have the, covenant, the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 35 through 37. Jeremiah 33, 14 through 22. Ezekiel 37. The new covenant, the new heart, the new mind. Now you and I have partaken as Christians, but, the, but Israel has not. That's the millennial for them. Jesus will judge the nations for their treatment of the Jew under the reign of the Antichrist. And he will separate the sheep from the goat in Matthew 25, 31-46. God always judges people and nations of their treatment of the Jew. It goes back to Genesis 12, 3. Those that bless you, I will bless. Those that curse you, I will curse. That is valid today, ladies and gentlemen. Do a history study of all the nations, what they've done to Israel, and then look what happened to them. We are no exception. No exception at all. Now, I'm not saying Israel's always right in everything, but I'm not stupid. I want to be on the winning side. All right? You fight against Israel. Listen to me very carefully. You're fighting against God. Look at what happened to the nations that are close to us in history. Germany's a good example and others. England's a good example. Babylon. Israel herself. God gave her up. Now, he will deal with the beast, the false prophet, and all who have received the mark of the beast during those seven years, and he will cast them into the lake of fire, Revelation 19.20. They cannot enter the kingdom. He will bind Satan, the devil, for a thousand years in the bottomless pit with a great chain in order that he not deceive the nations, Revelation 20, verse 1 through 4. Because he's the God of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. He, 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 is, he is the one who goes about like a lion seeking whom he may devour. He is the liar. And he deceives the nations right now. So the salvation of Israel is undeniable. You cannot read Genesis to Revelation, particularly the prophets, and believe that God has given up Israel. It's impossible. You, you'd have to change words. You'd have to be purposely ignore Scripture and twist it. Notice, secondly, we have the possession of the land of Edom. Uh, the last of 17 down to 20. 
First, Israel will conquer over Edom. Look at 17 at the end and verse 18. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau shall be stubble. They shall kindle them and devour them. And no survival shall remain of the house of Esau for the Lord Yahweh has spoken. So it's going to happen. God says, you may not believe it. You may say, how oh, can that be? doesn't make any difference. It's going to happen. So notice Israel will be exalted and destroy Edom. They're in the end of 17 and 18. The prophecy is not only short term, as we already saw in our introduction, but also long term for the millennium. This context is millennium. Jacob did possess the possessions in 300 B.C. The Edomites were taken by the Nabataean Arabs. In 165 B.C., Judas Maccabeus took their capital, Hebron. And in 125 B.C., John Hyrenius subdued the Edomites and forced them to become circumcised like the Jews. The last Edomite, as we've seen, was Herod. Have you ever heard of an Edomite? You ever um, see an Edomite flag? Not me. I guess God can't lie, can he? Notice the authority is God's. For the Lord, Yahweh, has spoken. Verse 18 says, God is the defender of his own people, even as he judged Egypt. God may discipline his people by a more wicked nation, but then he will judge that nation for her overextending ruthlessness, just like Babylon. You read Habakkuk 2, he gives you the evidence. God used Babylon to judge Israel. But Babylon went a little further than it should have. And then God judged Babylon through Greece. It's real simple. God can use Russia or China or anybody else to judge America. It's his prerogative. We, we've told him to get out of our nation, the public square, our educational system. Maybe he's taking us up on it. Our money says in God we trust. Our monuments say in God we trust. Our documents of Constitution, Bill of Rights, the Federalist Papers say in God we trust. And, and God is mentioned all around. And, and now all of a sudden, you know, it's like, you know, what, what does those things mean? Really? Hmm. Notice Israel will possess the land. Verse 19. The south shall possess the mountains of Esau. Okay, so that's on Jordanian side of modern day. Low, uh, the the low, uh, lowland shall possess Philistia. So you're going down south by the Gaza Strip there. Um, they shall possess the field of Ephraim, a, a little more there from Jerusalem. The fields of Samaria, the middle between Galilee and, and uh, Jerusalem, Judea. Uh, Benjamin shall possess Gilead. Gilead is that part on the Jordanian side up towards the north. The two and a half tribes of Israel settle. And notice verse 20. The people will occupy the land of their enemies. All the captives of the host of the children of Israel shall possess the land of the Palestinians. No, it says Canaanites. As far as Seraphat. That's what the land was called. The land of the Canaanites. Then it was called Israel. Palestinian was an insult that was ascribed to them by Rome in 132 to 35. The last the, uh, scattering and destruction of the Jew. And they salted the land and then insulted the remaining few Jews they left by calling it Palestinia or Palestine. So the only true Palestinians 
were the Jews that were left behind, and it was an insult to them. Study your history. The modern-day concept of Palestine a nation is a figment of their imagination. Notice the land was given to Abraham from the beginning of God. Forever. Genesis 13, 14 through 15. He gave it to Jacob, also to Isaac. You can't miss it. The land was ultimately um, removed from them because they refused to allow the land to rest. You remember in Second Chronicles 36, 20 through 21. So they wouldn't let the land rest. So God put them in captivity for 70 years. The number of Sabbaths, they didn't let the land rest. He said, I'll let the land rest. I'll put you in captivity. 70 years. Now, notice the captives of Jerusalem who are in Seraphath shall possess the cities of the south, he says. So the Lord will make bare his holy arm, we're told, revealing he is Messiah. Bearing his arm, his holy arm, means his power. And what he does is just. There's no injustice with God. God's not unfair. God's not unkind. He's epitome of holiness. He should destroy every one of us. The world we see today is not what God intended. What he intended is back in the garden prior to the fall. What God intends for the future is the millennial kingdom. But even the millennial kingdom will see there's still going to be sin. There's still going to be death. Not for us, but for those who occupy the millennial kingdom. It's not until we get to the eternal state. Then everything will be as God intended prior to the fall. And so Psalm 98.1, Isaiah 52.10. Yeah, the Lord makes his holy arm reveal and bear. He does everything just. And the people are back in the land now today as they declare their independence for the third time, May 14, 1948. But it's not the final gathering. It's not the final uh, return to the, to the land. It's still yet to come. Now, this aspect of Edom... Ezekiel 35, you can turn there. We're going to look at 35, 1 through 15, because the destruction of the land of Edom is given in great detail that Obadiah is talking about here. And so I'm not going to go into great detail, but I'll just walk through it. So Isaiah, Ezekiel 35, Ezekiel 35, verse 1 through 15. In verse 1, the revelation of the judgment was against Mount Seir. That's the same as Eden. By the authority of Yahweh, verse 1. In verse 2, the revelation of the judgment was in view of restoration of Israel. You can't miss it again. It's a parallel to Obadiah. Son of man, set your face against Mount Seir and prophesy against it. That's Edom. Mount Seir was the location of the descendants of Esau. As you know, they were brothers. Modern day Jordan. 100 mile long, 20 miles wide. The city of Petra was the capital of the Edomites. Made them arrogant. And because it was impregnable and they trusted the high cliffs and the gorges and the snake uh, entrance and all that. And we've seen that already in our introduction of Odiah. So Ezekiel 35, 1 through 15 parallels what we have in, inside one chapter of Obadiah. Uh, Esau, remember, was the brother of Jacob, twins, and they hated each other. Uh, Genesis 25, 23, because of the blessing, because God had blessed Jacob and then his mom Conned him to deceive his dad, and then his dad blessed him, and he said, I'm going to kill my brother as soon as my dad's dead. Look at verse 3 of Ezekiel 35 there. The judgment to come will be at the very hand of God. God is doing it. He takes full responsibility. The tone is severe. It says, Behold, O Mount Seir, 
I am against you. I will stretch out my hand against you and make you most desolate. Mount Seir represents the whole nation of Eden. Genesis 14.6, 36.30. The judgment would be complete knowing it was God. Verse 4 tells us that. I shall lay your cities waste and you shall be desolate. The word desolate describes the effect of God's judgment and it's used seven times towards Edom in this chapter. Verse 3, 7, 9, 12, 14. When God says one thing one time, pay attention. When he says it more than once, you better have your head high and looking up. He means what he says. Then at the end of verse 4, then you shall know that I am the Lord Yahweh. This is repeated three times at the end of each section. Verse 4, verse 9, verse 15. You will know that I am the know. When God pours his judgment on, they will know it's directly from God. The book of Revelation says they know that the wrath of God is coming from the throne of God. Do they repent? No, they don't. They say mountains fall upon us. Wow. Look at verse 5 of Ezekiel 35. The reason their judgment is coming upon them and the consequences are two. Because you have had an ancient hatred. Verse 5, the beginning. Esau hated Jacob, again, because of the blessing of God. Uh, you shall not pass through the land, they said in Numbers 20, 20. They were coming out of Egypt. No, you can't, you can't come through. I don't care if you even pay for the water. You can't go through. Oppose them. That burning, burning hatred. Notice, secondly, they personally um, partnered in killing the Israelites with the sword at the time of their calamity that Obadiah spoke about. So Ezekiel's paralleling this time that Obadiah is talking about. Edom stood on the other side, Obadiah 1, 11 and 14 said, in the crossroads, cut them off and delivered them to the enemy. Treacherous. Edom gazed and gloated over their captivity and misery, rejoicing in their destruction. They spoke proudly and they took their possessions while celebrating with drink on the mountain. Obadiah verse 12, 13 and 16. So what Abadiah is giving in, in short details, here Ezekiel 35 gives in very specific details. Look at verse 6 and 7 of uh, Ezekiel 35. The consequences would be the principle of sowing and reaping. In verse 6, the beginning, God took an oath. Therefore, as, uh, as I live, saith the Lord God. Now, when God swears by himself, that's the highest thing you can swear by, okay? He can swear by no other. It'll come to pass. The rest of six there, God will repay them in kind. Listen to his words. I will prepare you for blood, and blood shall pursue you, since you have not hated blood, therefore blood shall pursue you. Do you think God is winking at all the terrorism that's going on? And do you think God is, is, is winking at the people that do nothing about it? All that has to happen for evil to, 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 to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Absolutely nothing. Look at verse 7. God's execution would be complete. Thus I will make Mount Seir most desolate and cut off from it the one who leaves and the one who returns. His judgment is clean. He misses nothing. Look at verse 8. The entire land would be judged. Nine, 8 and 9. In verse 8, God took full responsibility. And I will fill its mounds with the slain. Now, people read stuff like that. They get all tweaked out with God. But his judgment is perfect, right? 
When God sends someone to hell, when God slays somebody, when God brings judgment on someone, it's absolutely just. You know, it's like being a parent. Sometimes we're wrong when we give our kids a spanking when we shouldn't, right? But we know they probably deserve 10 when we didn't get them, right? <laughs> you and I are the same. I haven't had a ticket in 15 years, but I know I'm due. You know what I mean? We're just bad news. Look at verse 8 still. God would miss no area. On your hills and on your valleys and in all your ravines, those who are slain by the sword shall fall. Nowhere to hide. Look at verse 9. God would make the land uninhabited. Notice, I will make you perpetually desolate. And your city shall be uninhabited. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Wow. When you get to verse 10, down to 15 of Ezekiel 35, the crimes of the people of Mount Seir are declared. And they parallel what we have here in the book of Obadiah. In verse 10 of Ezekiel here, they coveted the land of Israel, knowing Yahweh was present. Listen, these are their words quoted. Because you have said, these two nations... And these two countries shall be mine. I will possess them, although the Lord Yahweh was there. This is their words. They're wrong. He's still there. His eyes are over Jerusalem. Any person, any nation that wants to divide the nation or rob land from Israel is sticking his finger in the eye of God. All the world leaders, that's their goal, including the United States. It's a bad idea. A bad idea. Look at verse 11. They were treacherous and they would be repaid in kind. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord God, according to the envy which you showed in your hatred against them, I will make myself known among them when I judge you. God doesn't get even. He serves justice. I get even. And more than even. If I get a chance. God? God is just. There's no mistake when he lowers a hammer. Guaranteed. Look at 12 and 13 of Ezekiel 35. Their arrogant words would be revealed. In 12, those against Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord Yahweh. I have heard all your blasphemies which you have spoken against the mountains of Israel. Saying, they are desolate. They are given to us to consume. Really? Wow. Look at 13. The words against God. Thus, with your mouth, you have boasted against me. And multiply your words against me. Listen. I have heard them. You think God doesn't hear the words of the university professors about God? About the Bible? The politicians? The leaders of the world? Lefty pastors in the pulpit? Liberal seminaries like Fuller? APU? And others? You think God's not listening? You think God's intimidated? Whoa. I don't know what Bible they're reading. 
Look at 14. Their judgment would be celebrated by all. Thus saith the Lord God, the whole earth will rejoice when I make you desolate. This is still future, verse 14. That whole region. 15, he gives a summary statement of Edom's judgment. As you rejoice because the inheritance of the house of Israel was desolate, so I will do to you, you shall be desolate, O Mount Seir, as well as all of Edom, all of it. Then they shall know that I'm the Lord Yahweh. The phrase, I will, appears eight times in this chapter of these 15 verses. 3, 6, 7, 9, 11, 14, and 15. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. I don't need any help. I don't need information. I don't need tanks. I don't need uh, nuclear weapons. I, I will. Wow. You know, before the Israelis won the land in 1967 war, Gaza was owned by Egypt, the West Bank was owned by Jordan, and there were no Palestinians. The term, again, is a modern invention. It's made up. And we are fed so much misinformation and such partial information. And the way they've been able to do this is to infiltrate the educational camps, the Trojan Horse to America, public school and the universities. They've cut off all the youth the last 40 years from American history, civil history, and all that. And they've replaced it with indoctrination. Ending up now with political correctness. And so, it's like the frog in the kettle. Frog starts licking his chops, smells good, doesn't realize he's lunch, he's dinner. Very subtle. There will be a removal of the curse in the animal kingdom also. Will we change back? No venomous, poisonous snakes, ferocity in animals, Isaiah 11, 6 through 9, Isaiah 35, 9, 65, 25, many other places. But listen to Isaiah 11, 6 through 9. It says, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb um, next to it, not inside of it. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a child, a little child, will lead them. Can you imagine? What a great picture. The cow and the bear shall graze. They're going to eat grass. The young ones shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play with the cobra's uh, hole, where it's dennis. And the weak child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord Yahweh as the waters covered the sea. Isaiah eleven six through 9. That's the millennial kingdom. Now, as we're going to see, there's still sin, there's still death, but Jesus is reigning and ruling, and not this whole change has happened in terms of the earth and the animal kingdom. Sickness will be removed by the um, reigning king, except uh, as punishment. Longevity will exist as a child dies at a hundred years old. And Isaiah says, oh, he died when he was young. Isaiah 33, 24. Jeremiah 30, verse 17. Ezekiel 34, 16. Gives you all this information. Now, sickness will be removed. Listen to Isaiah 33, 24. And the inhabitants will not say, I am sick. 
the people who dwell in it will be forgiven their iniquity. So Jesus will be reigning. Jesus will be healing. Jesus will be doing all kinds of stuff. In fact, um, there's so much information this morning, I didn't know what to put out and what to leave out. But, you know, the water runs in the river. There's fruit on each side. And the leaves are the healing of the nations and everything else. There's, a, there's a, um, a fruit for every month of the year. Okay? So start practicing. Eat more fruit and vegetables. Um, the diet. Um. Now, there will exist reproduction by the people living who went into the millennial kingdom because they will be living in natural bodies. Those who did not take the mark of the beast who are left behind after the rapture and they do not take the mark or go against the Jew, they are allowed to go in. And they will repopulate, get married, have kids just like you and I do here. We're glorified. But they will enter the kingdom. And there will be sin nature and therefore, salvation will be required. In Jeremiah 30, verse 20, 31, 29, Ezekiel 47, 22, and many other passages tell us that. Okay? Now, listen to Jeremiah 30, 20. Their children also shall be as before, and their congregation shall be established before me. And I will punish all who oppress them. So, even though Jesus is ruling and reigning, there is still sin nature from those who have occupied the kingdom. Israel is the one that the kingdom's for. But all the Gentiles that enter in, they serve Israel. Again, if you weren't with us in our series, the millennial, we have it up in the bookstore. There's so much to the millennial kingdom. There will be labor. It will not be a time of idleness, entitlement, or laziness. But a perfect economic system through labor. Isaiah 62, 8 through 9, Isaiah 65, 21 through 23, and many others. Let me read you Isaiah 65, 21 through 23. It says, They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people and my elect, Israel's remnant shall long enjoy the work of their hand. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble, for they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. One of the signs of the millennial kingdom was everybody would, would sit under their fig tree and their vine. Remember, um, Nathaniel was sitting under the the fig tree when Jesus says, I know you. How do you know me? I saw you when you were reading the scriptures under the fig tree. (laughs) He was reading the part of the millennial kingdom. The blessedness of Israel. And so the possession of the land of Edom by Israel is indisputable as you search the scriptures. Third, only one verse, verse 21. The domination in the millennial for Israel. The Savior shall come on Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord Yahweh. So even though Jesus is the one ruling everything, there are even scriptures that we don't, can't even get into this morning that appear that David will rule side by side with Jesus Christ. There's verses that Jesus cannot fulfill because those scriptures, that prince is worshiping God. It certainly cannot mean Jesus. So it's very possible that David will rule side by side with Jesus. It's something that's interesting in the scripture. The the saviors here are those that Jesus assigns for different tasks. 
different judges like the Old Testament and that. In fact, he told that to the disciples. We'll look at that a little bit. Now, the earthly theocratic kingdom will be governed by the Lord Jesus Christ, I said. Listen to Isaiah. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of his increase and his government and peace. There will be no end upon the throne of David and over this kingdom to order and establish it it with judgment and justice from the time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts, the captain of the armies of heaven, will perform this. Isaiah 9, 6-7. That scripture has the first coming and the second coming for the millennial kingdom. Short term, long term. Listen to Isaiah 11, 9. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. No one's going to be ignorant about Jesus. No one's going to be ignorant that Israel is, is ruling in the kingdom age. Everybody. Isaiah fifty nine twenty says, The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob. That's a remnant. Says the Lord Yahweh, Israel. Jesus told his disciples, Assuredly I say to you that in the regeneration, that's the millennial kingdom, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. That's the millennial kingdom, ladies and gentlemen. Now either Jesus meant what he said or... He was ignorant that there's no millennial kingdom. One of the two. The kingdom age is both spiritual and material. A theocratic kingdom, essentially spiritual kingdom, yet existing in the realm of the earth, characterized by certain things. The first being righteousness. He's a holy God, right? Righteousness. Only the righteous are allowed to enter, Isaiah 26, 2, 60, 21, Matthew 25, 27. The one reigning is Jesus, the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, king of righteousness, Psalm 110, verse 4, Hebrews 7, 2. Zion shall be called the city of righteousness, Isaiah 126. Israel will offer an offering of righteousness, Malachi 3, 3. The kingdom will also be characterized by obedience. The purpose of the original creation was to establish the kingdom through complete obedience, but Adam blew it in Genesis 2, 16-17. He disobeyed. So what we see now is the result of man's rebellion, not what God intended. So when people want to blame God about blind kids and cancer and everything else, it's the part of the fall. Simple. Jesus came as the last Adam to do the will of God. In the volume of the book, it is written to me to do your will, O God, to redeem mankind, Hebrews 10, 9. The kingdom age under the new covenant will allow Israel to experience a new heart, the new spirit, and the new mind, Jeremiah 31, 33. You and I have already experienced that. We're waiting for Jesus to return, or we're waiting to be instantly present. If we die before the Lord returns, Israel is yet to experience this. There will be a universal knowledge of the Lord. There will be no ignorance. Ignorance will be done away. 
So disobedience or rebellion will be dealt with immediately. Isaiah 11, 9, Revelation 2, 27, a couple of scriptures. The kingdom is characterized also by truth. Jesus is called truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. Jesus will be their God in truth and in righteousness. Isaiah 65, 16. Zechariah 8, 8. Jesus will reveal to Israel uh, um, uh, abundance of peace and truth. Jeremiah 33, 6. The throne shall be established and Christ shall sit upon it in truth in the tabernacle of David. Isaiah 16, 5. And Jesus will judge the people of the world with his truth. Psalm 96.10 Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth. Zechariah 8.3 Wow. The kingdom also is characterized by the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Joel states that God will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Joel 2.28 and 29 The promise began at Pentecost and continues till the kingdom age. In its complete fulfillment. The work of the Holy Spirit will be more abundant during the millennial kingdom than in any other time in history for man. There will be great revival during the great tribulation, but the millennial kingdom will dwarf it. Jeremiah 31, 33, Ezekiel 36, 27, and many, many other passages. You see, the Holy Spirit makes the kingdom age possible, not man's abilities. It's the Lord Jesus reigning and the Holy Spirit... The Trinity is always involved. Once the millennial kingdom's over, then God will be all in all. And they'll go back into whatever it was. The Trinity has been um, divided in the way that, that we understand it for the purpose of redemption. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. We'll find out when we get there exactly what that's all about. Every illustration will break down if you push it far enough. Now, on the basis of the computation... In the Moscow Gazette, Gastuvi Balbert, in his day, could report that from the year 1496 B.C. to A.D. 1861, in 3,358 years, there were 227 years of peace and 3,130 years of war, or 13 years of war to every year of peace. Now, you want to tell me man is good? Where do you get the evidence? I want to start with you. How many arguments have you had with your wife, your husband, your kids, your neighbor? How about your boss? How about getting on the freeway? Within the last three centuries, there have been 286 wars in Europe, he added, that from the year 1500 B.C. A.D. to A.D. 1860, more than 8,000 treaties of peace meant to remain in force forever were destroyed. The average time they remain in force, two years. Amazing. You see, it's only when the Prince of Peace comes there will be peace on earth. And even during the thousand-year reign, it's not perfect. There is still sickness. There is still death. There is still sin. There is still uh, sorrow. It's the eternal state where that happens. Now, for us, we're going to be okay. We don't partake of that. But for Israel, for the people that are occupied, absolutely. 
the influence of Satan will be removed during the millennium. Listen to John in Revelation 21 through 3. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the keys of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years, and he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should not deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Revelation 21 through 3. So during the thousand years, though there will still be sins in nature and people will still do some of their stuff and God will get them. Satan is bound. So they're going to have temptation from within, from without. Why does God put Satan bound? That at the end of the thousand years, we'll finish up, we'll see he's released, and the people follow Satan to demonstrate that our evil doesn't come from the environment. It comes from the internal environment. My heart, Jeremiah 79, the heart of man is deceitful, desperately wicked. Ladies and gentlemen, there will be no psychologist in the millennial kingdom. No sociologist. No global warmest. The tribulation say will reign with Jesus. Listen to John. Immediately following John says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw uh, the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast in his image and had not received the mark on their forehead or on their hand. And they led them reign with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again till the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And so we, the church, will reign. Those who were martyred by the Antichrist, they will reign with Christ. The rest of the dead who accepted the mark and everything else, they'll be raised at the end of the thousand years for the white throne judgment. The people who have occupied the millennium have accepted Jesus. Those who repopulate the kingdom will have to accept Jesus by their own free will to enter the eternal state. Listen to John, Revelation 27 through 8. John again tells us, Now when the thousand years have expired. Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sands of the sea. This Gog and Magog is not the one of Ezekiel 38 and 39. This is at the end of the thousand years, okay? Ezekiel 38 and 39 is Russia attacking Israel with a confederacy of Islamic nations. Two different points. Ezekiel 38, 39 is the beginning of the tribulation. This Gog and Magog is at the end of the thousand years. Two different battles. Don't confuse them. And so six times the word chilio, which means thousand, is said here. One thousand years. He says it here over and over again. Six times. Verse 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, Seven of Revelation 20. What is it that we don't understand by a thousand years? It's literal. 
Jesus rules and reigns. Israel occupies all the land. We rule and reign with Jesus. And those who don't take the mark of the beast, they enter in, they repopulate, they live, they die. If they accept Christ, they enter eternal state. If they don't, they perish forever. They'll be judged of the white throne judgment. Do you realize how fortunate we are, all the information that God has given to us to know what is going to happen? Wow. The domination in the millennium for Israel is inevitable. And so, the final restoration of Israel is characterized by these three things. According to Obadiah, the salvation of Israel is undeniable. The possession of the land of Edom by Israel is indisputable. And the domination in the millennium for Israel is inevitable. God's word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not. Not one jewel, not one tittle will pass from the law. And so, I am 42 years closer than when I first believed to the coming of Jesus for me. As a church, it's almost 2,000 years. Our heads should be looking upward for our redemption draws near. We're to know the signs of the time. I used to teach about the end times. We are in the end times. Russia's postured up north in Syria has boots on the ground right now. It can happen anytime. It cannot, but it could happen. When the salt talks in 73 with Kissinger, it could have happened then. It didn't happen. But Russia's there. She's got her warm water pour for her subs. She's got boots on the ground. China is flexing her muscles. They're trying to crash the dollar to change the world currency. One world bank, one world ruler, ecumenical movement. Let's all get along and love one another. I don't think so. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Right? Say in the word. Lord, thank you for your grace and love, your goodness. Thank you for your word, Lord. And we pray you continue to deal with our hearts. And Lord, help us to be a light. As we're here waiting, as we just minister to others and pull them out of the fire as you allow us, Lord. We thank you for your grace. And so, Lord, I pray even now for those that are here and those over the Internet, Lord, that if they don't know you, that you would speak to their hearts of how much you love them and how you want to save them. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Maybe you're over the Internet. If you believe Jesus is God who became man, died for your sins, and rose from the dead, then you can call on his name. He will forgive you, and he will make you a son or daughter. By grace through faith, believing on what he did for you. If this is your desire, this is your prayer to him, and he will save you right where you sit. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.